Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Loveline is meant for an adult audience. Loveline may contain sexually oriented content. Listener discretion is advised. Loveline with Dr. Chris starts. Three, two, one. Now. Hello. Happy Wednesday, everybody. Hope you're getting through the week. Kind of halfway there. I guess it depends on how long your uh, work week is. Mine seems to be like it's every single day. Uh, so Wednesday really is not much of a benchmark. And for those that are feeling the time creep, <laughs> welcome to Wednesday, in case you didn't know. Thanks for checking out Loveline. You can check out all of our old episodes on radio.com and on wearechannelq.com. Also, hope you're checking out my nightly live stream show, I'm Listening, Stay Connected. That's also on all the radio.com handles. Um, funky time. There's a lot of interesting stuff going on in the news. No, no dull moments. Uh, a priest became a meme. I love this. I saw this. Because he was using a squirt gun filled with holy water to bless churchgoers. They would just drive by, roll down their windows, he'd squirt them, they'd drive on. Not mad at it. It's hilarious. Um, (laughs) Father Tim Pelk, he told BuzzFeed, he's amazed at how widely the photo is being shared. He said it even had two hits in the Vatican, which sort of concerned me, but I haven't heard anything yet. Um, He, it's coming from the kindness of his heart. You know, he's not doing anything problematic, so I hope nothing bad circles back. You know, people want to engage in religion and spirituality, no matter what's going on in the world. But I'm glad that he's not letting people come in and not holding the congregation in a building. Because again... Social distancing means we need to not be in enclosed spaces with large crowds, definitely not touching them, wearing masks, washing our hands and staying away. So thank you, Father Pelk, for keeping your congregation safe. Because again, if your church is holding services, you need a new one because they don't care about you. And that's coming from a favorite author of mine who said that, who's a pastor as well. Check in on that one. You know what I mean? But remember, we're allowed to go outside. We talked about the other day. Go outside's fine. Just again, follow the, you know, wash your hands, wear a mask, six feet, not enclosed spaces and no crowds. I know. It's a mouthful. It sounds like a lot, but we got to be doing it right now. Also, get into some reading. A lot of the used bookstores, small bookstores, any bookstores, they need help. So get off Amazon. You know, that guy Bezos has enough money. He doesn't need your money. Get your books from these smaller booksellers, which will mail them to you. And some of them are open. You call ahead of time. You let them know what you're looking for. They'll even help you pick a book. And uh, they'll come give it to you at the door or leave it outside. You can pay ahead of time with your credit card. These bookstores need to be kept 
open. These are sanctuaries, but also I want people reading mental exercise. That is how we're going to stop ourselves from feeling flat, bored, and depressed. It's how we're going to keep ourselves energized. And uh, people are talking a lot about home workouts. I hope you are carving out time for mental workouts. And that is things like reading. Also neurological health. As we age, especially, we need to do things like reading. That is what helps keep our brains healthy. It's, it's, a, it's a challenge. We need those. So puzzles, learning new languages, reading, things like that. I read nonstop. So get in on that. I think that that's, um, gosh, I don't want those bookstores to close. That would really, really, really break my heart. So please, if, if for no one else, uh, do it, do it for me. Uh, Anderson Cooper, uh, he adopted a child. Uh, we didn't get to talk about that and him and his ex are going to co-parent. Now I'm surprised a lot of people were uh, shocked or upset to hear that. Look, I'm all about people maintaining relationships. Friends with exes is a good sign. It means when you leave a relationship, you don't burn it down. We used to leave relationships while things are going well, but when we realize they're no longer working, let's not wait until we hate each other and even in and even in that moment, leave lovingly. And we should be able to maintain if we feel okay about it any other level of connection. Just because we're not going to be romance or sex partners doesn't mean all the other emotional, psychological, and social things that we can connect over and how we have compatibility over, we should still be able to connect on that. I, I'm not, I don't believe in this concept of emotional cheating. That That's friendship. Friendship has deep emotional intimacy. That's not cheating. We are allowed to have that with other people in our lives. If you are dating and in relationships with people you trust, all is well. And if you don't trust them, it's again, either you need to work on trust and not having these what we call toxic monogamy expectations, or you are dating someone who's not worthy of trust and you shouldn't be with them. But if you are doing your work and they are healthy and have great boundaries, they can be friends with anyone and there's nothing to worry about. But true love and care is wanting your partners happy. And if they have relationships with people of the gender they're attracted to or exes and it's safe and they're feeling nourished and they're feeling happy, allow that. I am friends with all of my exes. And that will always stay that way. And I will always have love for them. And anyone in my life in any other way, romantically, whether committed, monogamous, or, or maritally, that those exes will be in my life as well. And I will still see them and still talk to them. When we date new people, our lives should expand. We shouldn't have to remove people and have our life shrink down around the anxiety or fear of our new partner. It, that's not healthy relationships. So keep all your relationships going. And as you get into newer relationships, again, it should be a new person brought in, not the removal of prior people. Set that boundary from the door. That's how we don't get into a toxically monogamous relationship. Don't let this new person's anxiety push old friendships or exes out of your life if things are above board and completely appropriate, whatever those boundaries are for you and your new partner. But from the door, you set that boundary. Um, so I'm proud of Anderson Cooper. He doesn't have family, he said. He's like, my family's my friends and my ex has been in my life for over a decade. Beautiful. He should stick around. He should co-parent. And when Anderson's in a new relationship with a new boyfriend, he will learn and get familiar with the child's other father. And the three of them might raise him together. Yep, that's how it goes. <laughs> that's how life works. That's how love is. It's rooted in care and compassion. And anything outside of that is conditional love. And that's actually not love to me. It's conditional. And that's not about love. That's about your anxiety. And when someone's doing what you want and what you can accept, and that's just not how it works. So I'm going to be writing more about that toxic monogamy because I see that popping up pretty frequently. 
and our culture tends to think that some of those things are appropriate and it's not mentally healthy or emotionally. So we'll be dismantling more of that, talking about that more down the road. We've talked about it before though. Uh, all right, coming up next, we're going to talk about talking to your child about porn. That's right. We got to do it whether we like it or not, especially because anyone who has access to the internet or I guess social media of any kind will be encountering it. So we'll go there. All right. Listening to love line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. Love Line with Dr. Chris on Channel Q. All right, we're back, and now it's time to talk about everyone's favorite topic, porn. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. I talk about it a lot. We'll talk more about it in relationship to adults, but let's kind of also talk about the relationship it has to kids. So right now in the pandemic, more than 50 million kids are at home. And listen, if you've got internet, you've got access to everything. So whether you like porn or not, regardless of what age you think children should have access to it, they, if they can get on a computer or their phone and can get on the internet, they're going to stumble upon it. My first question is always, what do you define as porn? Because there's all sorts of erotic arousal inducing imagery and videos everywhere. So everyone's going to have a different line when they feel like it's crossed from, I don't know, hypersexual or arousing art and media into porn. Um, some people don't think porn has to be graphic. Others do. We can sexualize absolutely anything and anyone at any time. So we're always essentially looking at hyperarousal, erotic, hyperarousing erotic things out in the world, people crossing the street, billboards, feet for some people, certain pieces of clothing. So I think there's somewhat of an arbitrary line when we define what's porn and what's not. But for many, it's graphic sexuality um, that is on film. Now, again, the first thing is as soon as children can talk, we need to start talking about sexuality. Again, it's not permission giving to talk about something. In fact, it raises their confidence and ability to discuss it. We know from the abstinence only community that say don't have sex, that they do have sex, they just delay having sex. And when they do have sex, it has more sexual violence and less uh, sexual use of practices, safer sex practices, more STDs and STIs. Why? Because they don't know what the safer sex practices are. They don't know how to ask for it. They don't know what they like. They don't know how to set boundaries. They, they don't know their bodies because it's been withheld from them. And there's this magical notion that at time of appropriateness for sex or upon marriage, that one just knows these things and they end up in my office and they end up miserable. And there's a lot of, like I said, sexual violence and disappointment. It's a mess. So we need to start using also the right language. I mean, have a sex positive family. And again, that's not permission giving that's empowering. That's saying to them, look, I'm going to give you the information and you're going to do what you're going to do. Putting seatbelts in cars is not giving permission for people to drive fast and recklessly wearing helmets while on a skateboard, a bike or on a motorcycle. Again, is not permission giving to act recklessly, not take care of yourself. It's saying accidents still happen. And so I want to prepare you in the best ways you can to deal with what might show up. So wear a helmet, wear a seatbelt, et cetera. We, we are willing to do that. Now, porn literacy is something every human being needs to have. Many don't. And even as adults, they'll come into my office saying, I know better than this, but because again, we still haven't really internalized what role porn should play in our lives. Now, like all art and media, it's art and media. It is entertainment. It's it's there to for a purpose, but its purpose isn't to mirror real life. Just like we don't want our kids to think that watching one of those you know action-packed films, we don't want them to think that that is appropriate to drive like that at those high speeds doing those stunts. We point out like, hey, that's not real life porn is the same way. Those are actors that are chosen because they have certain kind of body types, um, very expressive bodies, 
and um, certain you know larger sizes of anatomy because that looks better on film if we're talking about standardized porn. So that's where the literacy comes in, saying that that's not necessarily real life, that's not necessarily how things go, but you are going to stumble upon adult entertainment, and it's not for children, but it's for adults. Um, and you want to let them know that if they do, they can come talk to you because children will talk to parents that uh, appear safe and comfortable with these topics and other things. So you want to start young, just talking about general sexuality. As soon as they can talk, you'll know it because things will go over their head and they'll change the subject, follow their lead. But you want to say porn is art and film. It's not meant to be real life. That's not what people look like. And that's not what people do. And then the child might say, well, what do they do? And then you can have that conversation if asked on an age appropriate level that sex is about fun. It's about pleasure. It's about connection. It's about intimacy, but it doesn't always look like that. And that's when you start talking about consent and telling them it doesn't matter what it looks like. It's what it, it's what it feels like that matters. How does it feel? And there's no right way to do it. And you're going to do it all sorts of different ways, but you want to make sure you're enjoying it and you want to make sure your partner's enjoying it. So check in with yourself and check in with your partner because it's supposed to be fun. Porn can train us to believe that sex should look a certain way, and that's also why I recommend feminist body positive porn. It's more diversified. It shows foreplay. It shows full-bodied sexuality. Not everyone has large, gigantic anatomy. Not everyone orgasms. It's not always rooted in penetration, and those are the things you want to cover if a child's old enough and asks the right questions, that that is the way sex looks like for some people, but not for everyone. And again, you're just getting the child the right languaging, confidence around talking about sex, letting them know sex is okay to talk about, but it's out there. They're going to bump into it and you want them to be armed because you should hear some of the stories that come into my office, the things that people have been led to believe and it's negatively impacted them. You know, they move through the world internalizing these messages. So again, talk to them about what they're seeing. Let them know that there's other options. Let them know that that's not necessarily how the real world works, but that it's okay to stumble upon it. It's okay to get turned on and aroused by that. And that it's often used for solo sex, sex by yourself, with yourself, and that you don't do that in public spaces. You do that in your bedroom when you're by yourself or in the bathroom when you're alone, and that it can feel good and it's fun and there's nothing wrong with it. It's like eating a donut. It's like having, you know, a milkshake. But this is something that you usually keep from others because, you know, certain expressions of sexuality in our body are just not what we do publicly, at least until you're an adult. So anyway, we'll talk more about that. You know, you can slide some questions, though, if you have any related to that into the DMs on our Loveline IG page. That is where our DMs always come from. Love to hear from you. You are listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and on radio.com. Loveline, this is Loveline with Dr. Chris on Channel Q. Right now, let's go to Dr. Lisa Feldman Barrett, psychologist and author of the books, How Emotions Are Made, and coming out in November, Seven and a Half Lessons About the Brain. How are you? Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me on your show. Yeah, I want to jump in and just say thank you for the work you're doing. Um, I was researching your work and I also was watching some of your talks and you made some really profound statements that go against a lot of what we assume in our culture about emotions. Um, one of the powerful ones being uh, that emotions and physical movements associated with them are not universable, which means we can't make assumptions about what we're seeing based on our own experience. Talk to us more about that. Sure. Well, I think for many years, the assumption was that everyone in the world um, was born with uh, a set of emotion circuits that were pre-wired into the brain. And when one of them fired, like, say, the fear circuit, uh, everyone around the world would, when that circuit uh, triggered, would feel the same thing. Their face would make the same expression, kind of a wide-eyed gasping face like, um, that their bodies would do uh, the same thing, 
um, and that everyone around the world could recognize that wide-eyed, gasping face as a fearful face. And the same thing is, was uh, people thought was true for anger and for happiness and, and so on. And it turns out that uh, not only are emotions not universal, but you yourself don't always widen your eyes and gasp when you're uh, fearful. You don't always scowl when you're angry. You don't always smile when you're happy. Um, really, when it comes to emotion, um, variation is the norm, meaning you yourself have a whole kind of vocabulary of emotional feelings and emotional behaviors. Uh, and, and so do I, and so do your listeners. And they're different, not completely different, but somewhat non-overlapping. And so when you and I are having a conversation or um, when you're having a conversation with someone else, your brain isn't reading someone's facial expressions or their body movements. Um, you know, body movements are not a language to read. Really, your brain is guessing. It's making guesses based on your own past experience. What does the what does the curl of a lip or the raise of an eyebrow mean uh, in this situation for this person? So brains are are always guessing. Um, we're always making inferences, and sometimes our guesses are are right, spot on, and and sometimes they're not. And um, this variation you see within people within the same culture and definitely you see it across cultures. And that's why I like it. Like when you said what you just said and when I was looking at your work, it actually soothed me because it's very humanizing and it honors diversity and it means that we can't make these American Western centric assumptions about other cultures and how they show things and feel things. So I found that like very humanizing and liberating. Um, and it, it brought up what I feel when people talk about um, books around dream symbols and memories. And I would say you know, everyone's association is going to be different based on their experience and their lifestyle. We can't keep un trying to universalize everything, but science often tries to take research and then universalize it like that. So I liked well, what you said. Yeah. I mean, science sometimes does that. I, I, what I would say is that science, some scientists have the assumption that they're looking for universal laws that hold for everywhere in the world. Um, uh, but I think there's enough evidence now from physics, from chemistry, from biology, certainly, and even from psychology that um, there aren't really universal laws. There are laws that hold in certain circumstances and not others, basically. So um, I, I do think it's very humanizing to realize that variation is the norm. Variation is the norm when it comes to your emotions. Variation is the norm when it comes to um, the uh, characteristics that people have. I mean, in our culture, in Western culture, we divide up the mind into like thinking and feeling. And, um, you know, with this idea that um, the brain is kind of a battleground between thoughts and feelings, between rationality and emotionality, and um, that they're that, that these two are kind of like in a battle for control of your behavior. That's a very Western narrative. There's there are no parts of your brain that are for emotion, no parts of your brain that are for cognition. Um, your whole brain participates when you're having a thought or when you're having a feeling. But in half the world, thoughts and feelings are not separate things. In half the world, 
mental feelings and physical states of the body are not separate things. These are Western distinctions. And so even some of our most kind of basic ways of understanding ourselves and each other are are scripted by our culture. I mean, thank you for saying what you just said, because I've been saying that in my own versions uh, in my own ways around sexuality and gender and relationality. And you just swooped in with like a, a more neurological underpinning around that. So that that's, that's stunning. And, and I like what that means for us because what I hear in some of that is you have to have more vulnerability and intimacy in your relationships by asking more questions. You can't make assumptions. You have to actually say, what did you mean by that? How do you feel? How was your mental health? Yeah, the thing that is really important, I think, in understanding how this works, and it's something that some people just totally embrace, and it's, but it's something that some people really resist, and that is that um, even though your brain works in a really automatic way, uh, meaning you're not trying usually to feel things, your brain is, usually is kind of running on autopilot to some extent, you really do have more control over um, your experiences than you might think. And that's a good thing, right? And that's a good thing, not to shame someone, like empower yourself with that knowledge. Yeah, exactly. It's not at all to shame people. I mean, some basically our brain, your brain um, uh, is always making guesses about sights and sounds and smells it has to figure out what they mean and it's using past experience to do that so you have a little more control um and it means you also have a little more responsibility uh for um taking making the effort to have a little bit more intimacy or to um uh change your um uh, the way that your brain is wired if you um, had bad experiences in the past. You know, one thing I like to say to people is, you know, sometimes we're responsible for things not because we caused them, not because we're the blame, really, but because we're the only ones who can change it. And so if you're someone who's unlucky enough to have had something really tragic and bad happen to you, which totally sucks, um, you know, it's a, it, there is an, an, you do have some, control over creating experiences for yourself, architecting your life um, in a way that will help to rewire your brain, to give you new experiences, um, which your brain will use later on, you know, automatically um, to make those guesses. But that's a a hard thing to do, even though um, we, we have more control and we have a little bit more responsibility to have the kind of life to be the kind of person we want to be, it's also, it requires a lot of effort and it's really hard. And some people have had experiences that make it, you know, even harder. Dr. Lisa Feldman Barrett, thank you so much. And congratulations on the book, Seven and a Half Lessons About the Brain, coming out in November. Thank you for being on our show tonight. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you so much. Have a beautiful night. Love Line with Dr. Chris on Channel Q. Okay, time to slide into DMs. Sliding into the DMs. Sliding into the DMs is brought to you by our friends at Trojan Condoms because it's a big old sexy world. We want you to explore with confidence. Here we go. Hey, Dr. Chris. So I've taken that first step into dating women for the first time. Set up a dating profile and all. But I've never been with a woman and I'm wondering if I should let my matches know up front that this would be my first time or should I just not say anything? I'm nervous that if I say something, they might not want to go on a date with someone inexperienced. 
Uh, well, first off, congrats. I think it's really great that you're stepping into this new phase of your sexual identity or, you know, just sexual exploration or however you want to frame it. I think that's awesome. And yeah, dating profiles might be the best way to go for you um, for a multitude of reasons. But as far as making such a disclosure, it sounds like you'd be making it from your anxiety that you anxiously might want to just disclose that to get affirmation that it's okay and that it's something that they're comfortable with. And I advise people against that. You know, when you, when you don't know someone, don't feel as though you have to share anxiety-inducing parts of you. You can let people earn their right to that because a lot of these matches, sadly, <laughs> be prepared, won't go anywhere. And if you're disclosing all these elements of your life that you need to get acceptance around, like, hey, I need you to know I'm sober or whatever, or whatever the factors are, you might be just wasting your time. I would say let them earn their right into your life first, match with them, talk to them a little bit, maybe plan a date. And once you know that they might have a role in your life, that's a more vulnerable part of yourself you can bring forward and share with them. But my question would be more along the lines of, if you were to share, what, why? What would you be seeking them to say or what do you want them to know that for? Like, what do you, what do you was wanting to have happen as a result of that? Then again, just to say that that's okay for them to move slower with you. Cause I, I want that responsibility to be on you. So no, I don't think you need to say anything. <laughs> Wait, why is that funny? <laughs> oh, yeah, I got All right, here we go. We got another one. Uh, good luck out there though. Dating world's colorful place. Hey, Dr. D, how would you suggest lovingly breaking up with your therapist? I've been seeing her for two years now, and I feel like she's helping me cope with day-to-day mental health struggles, but not so much with trauma. You're amazing. I've been listening to your shows for a few years now. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Yeah, uh, look, sometimes your therapy's gone as far as it can go, or your therapist can't take you any further for whatever reason. Everyone has their specialties, and sometimes the relationship isn't what you're looking for. I mean, there's so many different reasons why maybe you want to find a different therapist, but I think the honesty is the best question. Don't ghost. You know, therapy is a real relationship, and... And I want you to kind of see it as such. I think it's really important when clients actually see that their therapist is a human being. And you don't have to caretake your therapist, but yeah, take into account that they have feelings. I think that that's actually healthy. And so I'm okay with you thinking, I, I don't want them to not value the work we did, you know? So just be honest. Um, it's been a great two years. Here's what I've gotten out of working with you. I think it's time that maybe I take a pause in working with you and I'm going to pursue other options. You know, that's how it is. Sliding into DMs is brought to you by our friends at Trojan Condoms because it's a big old sexy world. We want you to Sports confidence. Listening to Love Live with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and Radio.com. Love Line. This is Love Line with Dr. Chris on Channel Q. Now let's go to JoJo, singer, songwriter, and actress. How are you? Welcome to the show. Ooh. There you are. Hi. How are you? I'm good. I've been listening to what you've just been saying and so much is resonating with me. Oh, beautiful. I hope to get into some of it, but before we do, I want to just start by asking Jojo right now, how is your mental health doing? I'm asking that. Hold on. Am, I, am I framed up? Am I okay? Um, um, we got you. You sit, you sit tight and we'll, we'll kind of move around you. All right, cool. <laughs> um, I have been, I have been good. I have everything I need and I just got a treadmill actually in my basement. I ordered one and that has been, a game changer for me because I needed somewhere to put my energy and my anxiousness. Um, but I've been okay. My mom is actually here living with me at the moment. She moved from Boston to LA of just a few months before quarantine hit. And, um, so now this like temporary living arrangement has turned into something that's a little bit more indefinite. 
Oh, I'm glad that you have her. That's sweet. Good timing on that end. Um, and also yeah. movement. You talked about movement. That is, that's something that was powerful for me as well. You know, I was starting to feel my mood shift and I realized I'm sitting too much. Everything I do professionally is about yes. sitting. So I was like, I got to move. Yes. Uh, as human beings, I think we we do need to, I mean, if we're fortunate enough to be able-bodied and to have a, uh, to have the, um, ability of movement like it just feels so so good so i love to stretch i love to run i love to do yoga i've tried to stay active during this time um, and get outside a couple times a day i have a dog so that's really helpful oh beautiful so would you say uh having your mom nearby the dog and exercise is that the main uh forms of self-care you're using right now yes but it when you were talking about food i've been cooking and baking a ton and like trying new recipes i've been I have some friends that live not far from me and I'll, I've dropped off little care packages of vegan cookies. I don't know if that, does that break like what I'm, what the protocol of this thing is? I don't know if it is, but I'm like, I love you. I'm thinking of you. It's like part of my love language, I think. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I've just been really like definitely upping my sugar intake, to be honest with you and trying not to feel guilty about it. Trying not to beat myself up for being, softer than I was coming into quarantine. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. And okay, so let's unpack that. I mean, first off, I think it's adorable that you're making care packages. That that has to mean a lot to people. I also love that they're vegan and plant-based. I'm vegan myself right here, so I'm all about that one. Um, but let's talk about our relationship to our bodies, because that's one of the things that a lot of the patients that are still in my practice, I'm doing telemedicine, are talking about, where they're encountering their body differently because they don't have access to the gym or the foods they choose. I know that you've talked about your own struggles with just being in the spotlight, also being being female identified, people weighing in on that. Talk to us about your journey around being body positive. I realized that my eating or my thoughts around food were disordered when I was, and I, I still identify with that. I mean, I can fall into patterns where I'm, um, uh, where I don't stop eating, you know what I mean? At night. And I realized that I'm doing it to self-soothe. And I did like that you said that there's, you know, there's nothing wrong with using that as a, as a coping mechanism. It's just like identifying what it is, but, um, my relationship with my body, I've had to turn a corner where I have reclaimed my, my feelings on it. I felt like I was, well, I was told when I was like 18, 19, that in order to put out a record, I had to, I needed to lose weight and that I didn't look good enough to sell the music that I was making. The music I was making was sexier, edgier, and would require something different of me. And that, that's what I was told. I, I did subscribe to that. And um, I was so upset about being put with the trainer. I was upset about being put on a diet. And it took me several years to find pleasure, my own pleasure, in feeling strong, feeling capable, and actually really reaping a benefit from the drugs that my mind creates when I'm, you know, working out, when I'm exerting myself. And, uh, I had to like develop my own relationship with working out and, and eating well. So like uh, adopting a plant-based diet because it feels good to me, not because I'm terrified of what it will mean if I'm a certain weight or, uh, you know, a size, whatever. 
Yeah, I mean, so much in that, because number one, I agree with you. We we want to eat what makes us feel good, and we want to root it in that. Like, how do I feel when I eat this thing? It shouldn't be about how do I look, but it hurts my heart as a mental health professional to know that you, at such a vulnerable age, you know, in the spotlight, which is just a level of vulnerability already, that you have these people that are supposed to be looking out for you, helping you internalize really negative messaging about your body. So I'm horrified to hear that. And you also were quoted as saying that you were put by a dietitian on like a 500 calorie diet a day. Have you heard of these injections where it makes your body think that you're pregnant and it takes the um, the nutrition, I guess, that would go to the baby? And I'm not exactly sure what it's called, but this is what, how it was explained to me. I kept these vials in my refrigerator and I'm, I'm almost, a, you know, as a I'm in my late 20s now and thinking back to myself as like 19 years old when I was doing this, I'm upset that I didn't have the confidence or the courage to be like, I'm not doing that. But I, you know, I, I did. And I thought that it was a part of my job. Yeah. And, um, I'm so glad that in 2020, we are not standing for that anymore. Like women are, there's so many different examples of how to be a person, how to be an artist, how to be a female identified person. And you, you know, just so many ways to be sexy and beautiful and fly and, um, it, it didn't feel like that 10 years ago. Yeah, I, I, it is it is a powerful moment. I'm with you. We are moving into also like a fourth wave of feminism. It's body positive, sex positive, female sexual empowerment. Yes. Like I, I'm here for it. And one of the more stunning moments was, you know, when Adele came forward and, and showed her weight loss and all of a sudden everyone has a commentary on her body. And this, this individual is such so a talented right. person, won so many awards. And it's like, that is what her worth should be rooted in. And I do think that people are people celebrate how incredible Adele is and and know that she's beautiful at at any size. The woman is beautiful she objectively. Is. Like yeah. what what a stunning what a stunning person. I just hope that because I know that when I started to get compliments, when I would be losing weight or when I would be de- depleting myself, you know, because I've experimented with so many different things with like carb cycling with. Anyway, I don't want to like trigger anybody, but like I've gotten into so many different types of ways of eating until figuring out what really makes me feel alive and confident and positive and all those things. I just hope that, you know, the, the, the feedback that she's getting isn't a negative thing for her psyche, of course, you know, because it, it, ha- it had been for, for me when people be like, oh, my God, you look incredible. Then it would make me nervous if I were to relax the way I look a little bit, you know? That's right. Compliments. People think that they're doing something positive for us, but we hear them saying, this is what I want and expect from you. And this is what you need to keep to do. Okay. We're going to take a little break. Listen to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. Love line. This is Love Line with Dr. Chris on Channel Q. All right, we're back and we got JoJo. So let's talk about your music. You've got a new album that came out. Um, I had a fan of yours that slid into my DMs and made me promise to say this to you. <laughs> so even though we have fan questions for you that we'll ask you later, this fan said, and I quote, uh, JoJo, please tell her that she's an absolute icon, that she is a musical genius genius i'm glad her music is back out and please tell her i love her so there that is <laughs> oh my god thank you for telling me that yes. thank you yes uh so sweet everyone was stoked that you're coming on so let's talk about your music how do you think music and mental health has intersected for you oh me um 
Hmm. <laughs> well, I know that you address My, your your truth in your music, so it's in there in that way. No, it, it, exactly. I was I was just trying to figure out how to start it. My therapy, my experience with going to therapy and like being pretty consistent with somebody over the past decade has made it possible for me to be as transparent as I am, I think. And I'm not embarrassed. I, I feel really comfortable actually just um, saying where I've, where I've been, where I've messed up, where I am now, where I see myself. I, I have let go of a lot of shame and I, I had so much, I had the shame monster on my back and my therapist really helped me get, get her away. I actually like personified my shame and, and guilt as this other person. I called her Berlinda. And I'm like, whenever Berlinda is trying to take over me, I'm just like, Berlinda, yo, sit down. Like, I don't need you. You're not helpful. You're, you're whack. You hate me. You know what I mean? Yeah, and so I like, I, I have, I have disconnected that from myself. Like, and, um, it, it's through th this album is so raw and connected to like where I've been in the past couple of years, which was on this journey of realizing I needed to be alone, acknowledging that I was like engaging in a lot of behaviors where I was trying to escape myself and trying to self-soothe in, you know, with sex and food and substances. And I just wanted to, live differently, try something different and get a different result from the relationships I had in my life. And I didn't like the patterns I saw myself um, getting into with like, just always, always having a, a boyfriend and never really being alone. I was like, I need to establish my own boundaries, my own, my own whole thing. Well, as a therapist, you're warming my heart because the vulnerability is how we push through shame, right? Shame is maintained in silence Ooh. and secrecy and you are putting it out there and that's how you work through. And it does make me feel much more powerful, like to be able to say certain things and, and not be worried about someone calling me out for something. I'm like, I'm already, it's already there. It is what it is. And I, I also find that I love the connection that you can make and deepen with people when you make yourself vulnerable, then you tend to inspire other people to open up. And, and that can just feel so that's such a beautiful part of being human. I love that. Yeah. And, and that's the purpose of the show. That's why we called it on listening, stay connected. We want, and I ask every guest, like, how's your mental health? I want people to get familiar hearing people talk about it. And also that's what I tell the patients I work with is we walk away from a relationship of any kind. If we've been vulnerable, really feeling like we got to know each other and we connected. So it's in those moments when we show our parts that had the most shame and weakness that we really bond with people. And so I tell people seek those moments. Absolutely. I think it's so powerful and it can feel scary because you're like, is this person going to use this against me one day? But screw that. That's like right. it's, it's worth it. It's worth it. Trust in, in that process. I think. Well, we want to play a quick clip of man from your new album. Good to know. So let's take a quick watch and listen.
All right, we're back. <laughs> uh, Joe, do we have some questions that came in from some fans I'd love for you to answer with us? I'd love to. Let's go. Uh, the first one asks, being in the public's eye, did you have any fears about opening up about your mental health and family history? Um, more so about my family history, because especially the family members that are still living, it's not really my business to share, you know, their, their struggles with um, addiction or depression or anxiety. But, but then I feel conflicted because certain things have affected me directly based on, you know, what they were going through. So um, as far as my, my own struggles, no, because other people have paved the way in talking about mental health and I think we do live in a time that's better than any other where the stigma is. It's almost like, how dare you try to make me feel crazy for, for just speaking on something that so many of us go through. It just, it didn't feel um, like something I shouldn't be talking about. I love that. Like, let me be a person, right? Yeah. I, I'm just, I'm, I'm grateful. I think maybe my mom just raised me that way to be a person first. Yeah. Jojo, you are your vulnerability and authenticity is so healing. It's so powerful. Thank you for being a part of our show. Thank you. I can't wait to see you in person. All I'd right. love to talk more. We will. Absolutely. Have a great night. Thank you so much. You too. Bye. I love that. I mean, that's what we're all trying to do. We're trying to find the best way through music. Such a powerful companion. And people like Jojo, so much resilience, really working on sharing their vulnerability to help other people normalize and humanize what we're going through. And that's what I want to come out of this time is feel what you're feeling. And again, we're asking people, how's your mental health? So that they know we are a safe person that they can go to if they're struggling. And also we're getting everyone familiar hearing mental health discussed because that has far too much shame and that keeps people struggling. Love line with Dr. Chris on Channel Q. All righty, righty, righty. Time to slide into those dooms. Sliding into the DMs. Sliding into the DMs is brought to you by our friends at Trojan Condoms because it's a big old sexy world. We want you to explore the confidence. All right, here we go. Hey, Dr. Chris, my family has accused me of becoming an a-hole. <laughs> Because I share so much information about not fat shaming me, not expressing internalized racism that impacts me and mentioning when we as a group are being socially irresponsible. I honestly let slide whatever I can justify on their behalf, even slightly. But if they can't hear my standards, why should I be spending time with them? Am I that offensive for trying to gently bring it up because I want them to have more open hearted relationships to fat and to face to fat and face if they don't want to hear it. Should I just stop seeing them unless I absolutely have to? Yeah, I've been here before. I had an ex that said to me once, you care too much. Stop caring so much. And I was like, wow, in one statement, you just dismissed the entire mission of my entire life and my work. <laughs> I feel so seen and supported. Uh, you know, it's it's both. I think it's really legit that you want to share with them about the fat shaming piece there's no way that you could actually have a true relationship or feel safe if you were around family members that thought it was appropriate to talk about your body in any way, in any form at all, but especially in a negative fat shaming way. And I do think it's important for people to hold others accountable to their expressions of homophobia and racism and classism and all of that. You know, that that's how we grow and get better, not just by letting people problematically roll forward, especially if it impacts you and their relationship directly. You know, there there's this whole thing, though, about what's going to be a meaningful intervention. I think that that's got to be part of the conversation where there's going to be some moments 
that aren't going to actually be productive for you or for them. And I think those are the times when you kind of back away and circle back when it's more relevant or share it more so with those that you really do want to have a deep relationship with. You can't, you can't address this in, in every moment with everyone in your life. I, I know if I did that every two seconds, I'd probably be calling something out with someone, whether it's an ad or a comment. And so I have to be more thoughtful about those that are in my life that open hearing it. Those that are important to me, uh, moments where I think it's really powerful for someone else to see themselves supported by what I might be saying or doing. And so I think it's a little bit of a case by case. So I don't think that you're offensive as long as you're not saying it offensively. I think it's important that you're doing that. Um, I also think you have a right to set boundaries about the way people speak to you and the conversations that are had around you. That's totally appropriate. In fact, that's really important and healthy. Um, and as far as whether or not you stop seeing them, that's something you have to really sit with. I mean, for me personally, I want to be around people that are living in the world and creating the kind of world that I want to be a part of. And that lets me and others feel safe and accepted in. I personally don't spend time around people that have problematic politics and lack integrity. I personally won't spend time around, you know, Trump supporters or racists or fat shamers. It's not healthy for me to hear. It's not healthy for me to be around. I don't value that. I don't want to be influenced by that. So for me, I'm very particular about what I'm around. That's something you have to personally decide. All of us though have something problematic, right? Like we always have to remember that, that, no matter who we think is the most evolved or quote unquote woke, they're going to let us down, right? We all live in a very uh, classist culture, a very racist culture, a very sexist, homophobic culture, and we're raised and we have that internalized. And so you're going to see all of us express moments of that, but it's about being around people that are willing to have that pointed out and are working on it and trying to be better so as to not perpetuate that. So um, that last part about whether or not I stop seeing them, that's kind of a personal decision. So good luck with that one. Uh, we have time for another. Okay. Hey, Dr. Chris. So my boyfriend and I have been together for over a year. My boyfriend does struggle with anxiety and what I may be ignorantly call a hypochondriac. He got an endoscopy and also got blood work done. It's all specialists. They told him about the foods and drinks that he needed to cut out and what triggers these issues. Yet he continues to eat and drink what he pleases and gets irritated if I don't drop everything and be at his aid. It's been a point of conflict for both of us. So how can we get through this without feeling like I don't care and without me feeling like he's blatantly not taking care of himself? Well, he went to the doctor. He does have, uh, based on the doctor's uh, thoughts, legit issues. And he's been told the foods and drinks that would help heal that. And he's choosing to not take responsibility for that. So I would say stay outside of that. Meaning if he's going to choose to eat and drink things that cause an irritation, you don't, you do not have to take responsibility for helping and supporting him in healing that. That's the choice he's making. It's kind of like people around drinking. Be around family members and you have a right to say, however, if you're going to be drinking or using drugs, that's a trigger for me. I'm going to leave when that happens or please let me know you're doing that and I won't come over. You can say to your boyfriend, if you're going to eat or drink the things that create the problems you've been told you have, um, I'm not willing to participate in that system. And so if it's something gets triggered, you're kind of on your own with that. Science DMs is brought to you by our friends at Trojan Condoms because it's a big old sexy world and we want you to explore with confidence. That is our show. Back tomorrow night, 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. As always, thank you, thank you for hanging out with me. You guys have an awesome, awesome night. Love Line with Dr. Chris on Channel Q.